This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. So Glenn, working with Del Monte and Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, right in in various leadership and marketing capacities in your career up to now um just kind of well i guess my first question walk me through you know your journey up to now but also i'd be interested to to learn kind of your top the top things that stick in your mind or your top learnings from that journey well you know we'll, we'll take the we'll take the first question first so you know i got a chance honestly by luck to get into the consumer package goods business. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I grew up saying, Ooh, I want to sell Coca-Cola for a living. Believe me, it was not that, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, cause they always ask me, you know, I, I've been lucky to be successful. It's a lot of hard work, but it's not like I had a passion when I was 20 years old. You know, I was in my forties till I figure out what I truly wanted to do in life. So I tell people all the time, you know, what I used really the first, you know, 15, 18 years of my career was learning getting the experience, getting the expertise, so that when I got the opportunity, when I figured out what the opportunity was gonna be, then I'd be ready for it. So I didn't take really anything for granted. It was never just a job. You know, I knew I didn't wanna be an employee number, but I didn't know what the hell I wanted to be, to be brutally honest with you. So, you know, had this opportunity at Coca-Cola, you know, through Coca-Cola and then to Pepsi again, you know, like I always say, there's probably seven, eight people in the world that work for both companies, of course, joking somewhat. Uh, they, it doesn't happen often, but I uh, was recruited by uh, Pepsi. And, um, you know, having the opportunity for work with a large organization to be able to understand the different roles, finance, sales, marketing, you know, just being able to get that rounded uh, you know, uh, business sense. So I can understand the different facets and how they interacted. You know, we all have heard the term sales prevention, you know, those kind of things and trying to see how I could figure out how to break down the barriers because I tried to look at it. You know, I remember when we, uh, we went into uh, the club business, this was before, you know, Sam's club and Costco and all those were as big as they are now, you know, we had this opportunity and the idea was, okay, how do we fit the business model of the customer while still being able to grow our business model? really you know i had a lot of great mentors throughout my career that really taught me different things you know from a marketing perspective what to look for how to make sure that you connect with the consumer how to understand quickly you know we build business plans you know here at red chocolate you know we'll build a 12 to 18 month business plan but you know what we planned you know i i was able to launch this uh, red chocolate about five months before a global pandemic and i can guarantee you that the global pandemic wasn't in my business plan. So the idea being that, you know, what you plan today, you're going to have to change in the future and you have to understand and make those necessary changes. And really that's what the corporate America, the first, you know, 15 years or so, that's really what it taught me was, you know, working with people, understanding what makes, what drives people. Cause everybody's different you know it's um i always say you know i can teach you a computer i can teach you sales i can teach you gap principles that's easy i can't teach the passion if you don't have the passion and the desire to want to be successful yourself you know okay stay as an employee number you know but know know your lane so to speak so you know when i look back at my career and the the folks that i got the chance to work with and just being able to 
really understand the psychology of people, understanding what drove them, understanding that, you know, it's a common goal. Hopefully in business, it's always a common goal. If it becomes an us against them, somebody's going to lose. Somebody's going to lose. And so, and that's not a great business plan. So you try to understand that common goal, whether you're working with your customer, whether you're working with, you know, your, your uh, employees, whether you're working with partners, vendors, whatever it is, you know, you have to find that common goal. One that satisfies the need of both yourself and your organization and the group that you're working with. So really looking back, you know, I think about Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Kellogg, amazing companies, you know, great times, made some great friends, had really smart people. You know, I always say I'm I'm usually not the smartest guy at the table. I'll be the first one to admit it. And I like that. And, you know, I'd rather surround myself with smarter people than me. So, you know, I know a roundabout way of answering your question, but, you know, I really, I look back at the, you know, the, the corporate side and that's really what prepared me for where I am today. So change management and becoming comfortable and expecting change to happen, being willing to, to roll with the punches. And then uh, I love that last point, striving not to be the smartest guy in the room. That's a great takeaway. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Oh, so you know, the, the chocolate market, uh, I'm not deep in the weeds with it, but obviously, you know, most people are, are familiar with some of the top three to four biggest mm-hmm. names. I think, you know, Hershey's and Nestle are two that kind of pop out to me. Um, and we'll get there here in a second, but uh, kind of talk about just the, the genesis of the red chocolate brand and what was the opportunity that you saw and exploited in the marketplace when you, when you began? So, you know, red chocolate actually has been around about two decades. So they're very popular throughout Europe and about, uh, we're now we're in about 27 countries. And so uh, I had always, you know, through my career, I traveled, uh, you know, I've been on almost every continent at this point, except for Antarctica, because there's really no retail out there. Um, but, uh, you know, been throughout the world and uh, have seen red and just fell in love with the brand because it's a great product. Yeah, I run the organization, but this isn't a widget to me, you know, and, I, and I'll talk to that in a second. But, you know, I just, I really respected the organization. We're owned by two families, multi-generational master chocolate makers, and they do everything for a reason. And you could tell all the design, everything about it, you know, holding the global patents, all those different pieces. And, you know, I just, you know, it's that love from afar being in this business. You know, I'm, I, I do, I walk the store and I look at brands and I go, oh, that's a pretty neat idea. Or wow, I don't get that one. Or, you know, just cause that's what I love to do. And so, um, you know, I've been fortunate, you know, I, I moved into the quote unquote private equity side of, you know, this piece and been uh, either led or been part of teams that have sold five companies to much larger companies. Um, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I really didn't know. Again, I, you know, was pretty happy with where I'd been. And I remember the first time I, uh, I was actually employee number three for a, a group and uh, we went from zero, a startup to about 70 million in sales. I actually ran the sales organization from at that point. And um, I remember sitting around uh, in the room uh, with the PE team and signing the paperwork and, you know, having some laughs. And one of the gentlemen said, so Glenn, what are you going to do now? And I laughed. I said, you know, I didn't know I'd be out of a job in 18 months. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. And he laughed. He said, well, just so you know, and, and PE, your role is to get out of a job as quickly as you can. So make sure it's a soft landing. And uh, from that, it stuck in my head. And, you know, you get to a certain point where you grow and you move on and you grow and you move on. And, you know, it's exhausting. It truly is exhausting. And, you know, especially when you're passionate and you love what you do, it's tough to let go. I mean, it's like letting go of one of your kids, you know. So 
you know, fast forward, you know, we sold an organization I was with and uh, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, the red team actually reached out to me because they wanted to come to the US and they had gotten my name from a couple of different folks. And so I sat down in a four hour meeting uh, in New York City. They had flown in and uh, it was uh, the two groups that were together and there was uh, one person that was speaking for the group. And out of that four hours, I spent three and a half hours explaining to them why they should never come to America. Wow, this, you know, again, land of opportunity, dollar signs, believe me, people all over the world look at America and go, wow, that's that's a consumer group I'd love to be with. Right. And it wasn't as though this organization was looking to build something and sell it. You know, this is this is their legacy. It's what they're doing. And so after about three and a half hours, the person who ultimately became my boss, she's actually one of my best bosses in my career. I said, are you done? I said, yeah, I'm done. And she said, so when do you want to start? And I looked, I said, you're either crazy or you know a lot more than I do. And either way, this could be fun. I'm in if you really want to do it. And so it took six months to build the uh, the infrastructure and quote unquote Americanize the organization on our side. And it was everything from even on the packaging. You know, our red chocolate is non-GMO. We use only non-GMO ingredients. Well, we're produced in Europe. Uh, and when we're crafted in Europe, you can't use GMOs. So when I was talking to the team, I said, look, we need to change the, you know, the, the branding on it. We have to add non-GMO. We have to add we're kosher. Like, why? Everything's non-GMO. It was like, no, not here. And so it was just those steps. But again, understanding the steps needed because of, you know, what I had done in the past. And so we started that journey. What I saw here was I saw a lot of product that's loaded with sugar and unhealthy. Now, we don't call ourselves healthy chocolate because honestly, those who do, they're lying because there's no such thing as a healthy chocolate. We're an indulgent snack, but we like to call ourselves smart indulgence. And that's what we are. We're smarter indulgence. And I felt that the consumer was desiring it. The consumer was looking for it. And the and it was a, a sorely missing and lack of, of any type of product like this. And that's why I brought Red to the US and it's been a just a phenomenal journey. Phenomenal. I just the the consumer acceptance has been better than I could have ever expected. And that's going through a global pandemic and all the other things we've gone through over the last three years, which has, you know, been amazing. And you know, so we go through it. And you know, you talk about, you know, leading in chaos. I call it punching through the mud. Because that's what I tell my team all the time. Look, we're going to have to take a knee once in a while, catch our breath. But ultimately, we have to punch through that mud and everything from, you know, the latest piece with all the inflation and what we're trying to go through. And my supply chain team working their heart out to work with our partners and my marketing team figuring out a way to do things better. And it's just, you know, it's it's a group effort. And when I sit around the table with my team, I'm surrounded by smarter people than me. Yeah. So, okay, so just kind of going back to the beginning, right? Um, you know, you 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 get started in this new initiative that maybe you're, you weren't 100% sold on in terms of the, the viability of, of the, uh, the business within this new market. They're like, let's do it. And you're like, all right, I'm in if you're in. Um, you you kind of alluded to it right in in that last in that last segment. Um, how has your messaging to the consumer I guess differentiated you within the market and allowed you to to carve out your your niche um, despite coming into a very again a very I would say saturated and sort of commoditized chocolate market here in the mm -hmm. United States. Well, you know, it's a good question. So I would tell you that uh, the, the the category is brand dominant. I guess is the best way to look at it. Right. And uh, you know, sometimes they get complacent. 
And can they reach people faster than me? Yeah, they just write a check and they could do it. So we have to be smarter. So being able to use the tools that are available. You know, one thing hasn't changed. One thing has really changed. One thing hasn't changed. The consumer, whether it was the 1950s, 2000 or 2022, the consumer still expects a value. Now, when I say that, the value is up to them and what they decide a value is. It could be price, it could be how much time does it save me, does it benefit my needs, what is that value proposition? And so that hasn't changed because consumers still expect it according to what category or what has changed is bringing in the message and bringing the message sooner to consumers and being able to do it quickly, succinctly, and being able to deliver on that message so that they understand and it resonates with it. So there has been uh, a lot of work done. There are a lot of great tools. I tell people all the time, you know, you could reach out and you could find 20 things that you can use. Two of them are gonna work. And it's up to you to understand which two are the best way to be able to deliver that message to the consumer. And, you know, you could do the basics, you know, the couponing, that kind of thing. Everybody does that. Again, what you have to do is you have to bring your message loud and crystal clear, you know, we're an omni-channel business. You know, we're on the Home Shopping Network. We're actually the top chocolate sold on the Home Shopping. We've been for two years now. And, you know, it's they're an amazing partner. I love working with them. You know, eight minutes, 16 minutes, whatever the, you know, the segment is. And you get a chance to tell the story. And you get to tell it in much more detail. You know, in, in our messaging, it's very tight. It's very quick. And it's just, and again, as I tell people all the time, when we come to a category, we are what's called, you have incremental and you have cannibalization. We're 78% incremental. The reason is because we deliver new dollars. And that's what I tell my partners when we go into retail and those kind of things. Because if we were just another chocolate, there's no reason for us. If I'm just going to take the pie and take my slice, you're not going to last. And the reason we've been able to thrive and grow is because what we do is we deliver a value proposition. We deliver a need. And in any business, you have to understand what your need is. You have to understand how to deliver that need, how to deliver it again quickly and with a strong message so that people don't go, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. Okay. I get it. And I'm interested. And for us, it's been all about the fact that we're a European crafted chocolate, the fact that we're non-GMO and kosher and gluten-free, it's all those different things. And it's just making that point over. And some people are going to go, Oh, yeah, this is for me. Others go, I'm not sure. Let me try it. And others go, oh, no, no. I love when I bite into a piece of chocolate. It feels like it's giving me cavities immediately. Right. It's all good, man. It's all good. You know, like I say, every business I've been in, it's not for everybody. We're not 100%. You know, it is, some people love cereal. Others hate. Some people love Pop-Tarts. Others hate. Some people love, you know, carbonated beverages. Other people say you're out of your mind. It's the same thing with chocolate. And we love, you know, all the red fans we get to have within our family here. And you know what? Those who say no, at some point you're going to try us. You'd be silly not to. Yeah, that that was definitely me. I I try to stay away from sweets as much as I can, because um, obviously, like health, I'm I'm health conscious, being sort of right. like in that millennial uh, cohort. But uh, you you so generously sent me a, a sample of the chocolate, and I have to say it was it was delicious. Um, and I I see a huge movement of other like-minded, you know, young people um who are quickly becoming the most the high spenders um yeah. in this country you know definitely shifting more towards that 
And what's great, Michael, is, you know, I look at it from a brand loyalty perspective, you know, and, uh, you know, when you look at millennials and, and, you know, the different segments, and I don't like to pigeonhole everybody because that's unfair, but uh, I, I would consider, uh, you know, the, the millennial consumer to be one of the most loyal consumers because if they listen yeah. and they believe in you and they believe in what you're able to accomplish and they like the product, you have to like the product, they'll stay with you forever. And we appreciate that. We appreciate everybody who tries us because, you know, we know there's options out there we think we're great but again we want you to think we're great so try us out and see what you think and that's what we tell people all the time how do you how do you uh, uh adapt i guess um in the face of unexpected change specifically you know with the the fallout from the pandemic and so forth you know we've seen inflation really set in how's that affected you and your customers and how do you remain agile despite those shifts well of course you know inflation has affected everybody from you know the manufacturer like myself all the way to the consumer and everywhere within the supply chain system uh you look for ways to be able to uh to 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 limit those increased costs you look for ways to be able to deliver it smarter you look for ways that you can combine different pieces so like for instance on our supply chain piece you know uh working with our partners and understanding how we can mix out our loads to better make it and the fact is we're trying to go to uh zero carbon we're a green certified facility and we're trying to get to zero carbon by 2030 so we report all of our carbon usage so that is actually twofold which was pretty cool for us because before for this you know a lot of our partners like now nah, we we you know that's too high brow for us now it's like oh yeah diesel 650 a gallon let's figure out together how we can do this better so that's a supply chain piece when it comes to the the marketing side you know being able to sit down and talk with the consumers and having those conversations and again going back to the value you know there is uh you know we haven't really seen a lot of price elasticity within our brand because we're we're not a you know we're not a nickel candy you know don't get me wrong we're we're, we're not going to be ten dollars a bar we're right. we're right in that beautiful spot where people just go yeah you're a value for these multitude of reasons and so we've we've stuck to that and talking to the consumers and we talk to consumers every single day everybody within my organization talks to consumers whether it be on the sales side marketing you know my phone number is on the website you know my cell phone i i'm i'm not worried about talking to people i've talked to i remember going back to us a um a person that called me uh and i was actually flying and i was in the airport so uh you know they called and i answered the phone and they said uh that sounds really loud here. i said well i'm actually in an airport you know i'm catching a plane you know how can i help you and she said, well, I had a question. I was like, yeah. And she asked the question and I answered it. And she went, I can't believe you just answered that question. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I? She goes, I don't know anybody who would just sit and talk to consumers. You're in the middle of doing something. I'm like, hey, we're here because of the consumers. You know, I'm flying because of consumers. So I want to make sure you're happy and satisfied and you understand exactly what we're trying to do. So if you've got a question, ask me a question. And my entire team's that way. You know, my, my, my head of digital marketing, she... She's on the phone seven hours a day talking to folks. That's the epitome of customer centricity. I love it. Yeah, you have to be. Because, you know, you you can talk to your partners, you can talk to your vendors, but ultimately, yeah, you have to know what the consumer's heartbeat is. You know, we go to trade shows and, you know, yes, we'll spend time, of course, with our partners. We love meeting with them. But it's also really important for us to talk to consumers. And what the great thing is, a lot of our partners are our consumers. So it's neat. You know, we launched a a brand new product in April uh, called Blonde and uh, it's the only one like it in the world 
We actually hold one of the global patents on it. And I remember launching it. And I remember people coming going, I've never tasted anything this good in my life. You know, because it's a caramelized white chocolate. And of course, we're no sugar added. So therefore, if you think about caramel, caramel sugar, well, we've got a patented way where we actually use uh, milk from Holstein cows and we pull the natural sugars out and we use that along with, you know, just our beautiful coca beans that we have from farmers we've worked with for over 20 years at this point. Right. So, it's, you know, it's that partnership. It's it's knowing what you want to be when you grow up and mm -hmm. continuing that journey. And, you know, yeah, you get thrown a lot of different curves. You absolutely do. And the worst thing you're doing, I've had bosses that have that, quote unquote, Rome is burning syndrome. I don't care what's happening. This is the decision I made. As opposed to saying, hey, the decision I made was based on these pieces and five of these seven pieces have changed. Therefore, probably our, our journey should change. You know, the ultimate goal usually doesn't change but the journey to get there should change it has to change sure uh, i've got kind of a, a weird or different question for you do you ever have moments where you kind of look back at your time with those cpg behemoths um particularly those who are swimming in the same the same sea as you guys mm -hmm. and do you ever say i know they're they're not going to be moving in the way that that we're moving or i know the direction that they're going to go because of X, Y, or Z, here's where we can divert, here's where we can be different, here's where we can be quicker to market in this particular way. Do you ever have those those moments? Every single day, <laughs> we have those moments. You have to have those moments because you're right. The one thing that we can do for our partners is we can zig and zag as needed yeah. to help them grow. And, you know, even, you know, I look at it from, it's funny, I actually had a, a chat with one of our, uh, one of our partners actually in the Southeast and we were talking and going through and I offered up a couple of different uh, pieces to go on. And, um, he looked, he said, Glenn, he goes, you know, what's amazing to me is you come with these ideas. And then after you come with them, you help execute them. And then after they're executed, you sit down for 20 minutes and go, okay, did it go well? Is this what we expected? Why didn't it? He said, I'll talk to folks and they'll come up with three ideas and I never hear from them again. You know, because again, that big company mentality, you know, it's tough to move that needle. So if you're not moving the needle here, we celebrate every success. And you know what? We've had some successes here that are mind blowing that we go, wow, that is, that's a, that's a game changer. And we're all excited. And then there's been times where you go in and you say, okay, you know, there aren't 14 people to do this job. So let's all, you know, take off our hats and put on that one hat and, you know, three or four people, you know, we've, we've had it where, you know, we've done 4,000 orders in a day. Well, let me tell you, my backroom team, which is amazing, can't handle that. So it was an all hands on deck. And that's where you zig and zag. And, you know, the CEO of some of those larger companies or even down to the VP level, they're not doing that. And it's like, well, that can't be done. And I was in the, I was part of the team that actually, uh, when I was at Kellogg, we brought Keebler into the fold. And I remember sitting there in one of the meetings and we had a, a brand. And somebody said, well, how much is that brand doing? And it was about, I think it was like $29 million in business it was doing annually. And so I went, that's ah, too small, let's just cut it. And I went, wow. I said, you know, I raised my hand, I said, can I buy that? You know, really? no, you can't buy it. We have to kill it because we're gonna take the tax right off and blah, 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 you know, so on and so forth. But the fact is, you know, big brands, 
think to themselves, okay, is it, you know, I've got to put it in this section. And if it doesn't do X, then I just can't do it because it doesn't fit. You know, I happen to be, uh, you know, a perfect team that sold an organization to a, a large conglomerate. And I remember sitting down with them and we had a team and we had a, you know, great team. And, you know, I always can tell how well a team works together when they go to dinner. If dinner lasts 25, 30 minutes, you've got some dysfunction on the team. But if a team is sitting around for two hours talking and chatting, you've got a cohesive team. And I remember sitting there, you know, with this, you know, with the head of their marketing department and with my folks and myself, and we showed them what our plans were. And it's a statement to us, guys, honestly, that's like a decimal point to me. I'm really not that worried about it. And I went, whoa. I was like, well, that's what made us the size we are, which made you guys buy us wasn't his thought process so you've got to take those and you've got to make those your own and it's just like you know whether you're working like i said with uh, the different software packages the different methodologies to get you get your voice heard you can do it it's exhausting it's and i tell people all the time you know i, I didn't know how to spell the word entrepreneur growing up it's not what i came from i wasn't 17 thinking to myself i want to be an entrepreneur i just knew that for me i wanted to be successful i wanted to be able to afford dinner you know and enjoy myself that's what success meant to me and so um you know I, I look back on those days and i say to myself you know the journey that you take no matter where you are in it continually continually uh, allows you to grow and as a person i try to grow every day I try to learn something every day and luckily i've got a smart enough team who will teach me things yeah i love that and piggybacking off of that point about continuous learning um do you have any stories um, specifically related to chaos or maybe even PR? Uh, I don't know if disaster is the right word, but challenges that have come up in this new this new chapter of your life, um, even customer related or public facing that have forced you to have to be nimble and respond in, in a way that, you know, was was new or different for you. And then how did you what tactics did you employ to to kind of combat that? Probably the, the one thing that pops in my, in my mind is the pandemic when it first started. You remember how everything was shut down. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about it from our perspective, we still had a ship product. And yeah. so when I was talking to my head of supply chain and we were talking, and, you know, I had the entire team, of course, everybody being home. And my supply chain person after a couple of days said, look, we got to go into the office. And I said, well, wait a minute. You know, before we just because nobody knew anything, there were all these things swirling around. Nobody knew what was happening. And I, and, and I understood what she meant. And we had to deliver to our customers and we had, you know, had to make sure that they were well stocked. Uh, and it was it was making sure because, again, you know, the, the as the business owner, you say, yourself, yeah, yeah, go and ship because you can invoice. Right. I mean, that's what we're about is, you know, dollars and cents and being able to, you know, fulfill our financial obligations here. Uh, but I knew that wasn't the right tack to take. And I wanted to make sure if we did this, we did it properly. And that was something that nobody was used to, you know, and, you know, N95 mask, nobody knew what one was, you know, three years ago here in the US, I shouldn't say nobody, not many. Uh, and so really the chaos that ensued was really understanding where uh, we needed to change so that we could make sure everybody was safe because that was much more important to me and just ensuring that and what was really interesting is you know we went through that we made sure the team was safe through many different uh, pieces that we did to ensure that we wouldn't have an issue and then 
two weeks into it, you know, and of course I was here because look, if my team's going to be here, I'm going to be here and I'm going to ensure everybody's safe and we continue down the path we want to. Uh, then all of a sudden I get a call from, you know, the head of marketing saying, hey, look, really don't want to be home. I, I can come in and help. I can figure out something. And, and within two and a half weeks, everybody was back in the office. We were safe. We were secure. But the fact was, everybody said, you know what? No, there's something bigger than us, you know, individually. And so, you know, again, I could have let chaos just take over and he said, no, you know, I could have let chaos take over and just done the wrong things, whether it be everybody in or everybody out. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to take the proper steps and, you know, trying to understand something that honestly, I, I had no information on. I am not a biologist, you know, so I read like everybody else and what we're trying to do. So that was probably the biggest chaos moment for us, you know, from a PR perspective, we are we are so safe and secure to the point of excess that you know I, I've never had an issue with that. Have I been in recalls throughout my career? Of course, you know we've been through several recalls with major companies, and you go through that PR piece and you try to you know spin it as best you can. I'm not a good spinner. I'm the first person to walk up. I, I I would you know if there was an issue, I'm the first one in to say, okay, we have an issue. How do we fix this? And you know again. I tell people this all the time and, you know, it's just uh, to help them through their journey. You know, when you are the leader of an organization, it's great to take everybody's understanding and opinion of it. But ultimately, you have to make the decision. And sometimes you have to explain to people, look, I know you said X and we're going with Y. Let me explain why, you know, because I, I may take 5% of what you say. I may take 100% of what you say. It may be none of it, but don't think it wasn't heard. It's just that, you know, we have to move in a specific direction. And that's part of, you know, leading very passionate individuals. Wow, I, I love that. There's so many different directions we could go off of that. But uh, as we kind of approach the the end of our conversation, um, I do I do want to ask you one kind of operational question. So, um, talking about kind of cash management within the business um, and investing in the business. So, I've been in the, the software industry for for my career. I'm not as familiar with CPG, but I can tell you with software, um, and especially with new new startups in the tech world, right? They they are very um, trigger happy to invest and inject boatloads of cash upfront in R and D, hiring, especially marketing. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. You're in a bad situation in those cases. Um, is that the same in CPG? And then going off of that, like when when is it right to overinvest uh, with with a business like yours? So I'll give you I'll give you a world world example. So about I guess it's got to be almost almost two and a half years at this point. Again, my head of supply chain came to me and said, "Hey, uh, Glenn, we need to talk." I said, "What's going on?" And she said, "Look, there, there's something happening because uh, again, all of our products come from Europe, so we come over on refrigerated containers." And she said, "Look, it's getting tougher for me to find containers. It's getting more expensive for containers. You know, I'm seeing some issues on the raws. You know, just a lot of things bubbling up. And again, before everything had happened." And I said, "So, what are your thoughts?" And she said, "I want to double the size of our inventory." And I looked. I said. That will absolutely kill our cash flow. And remember, you know, our product is, is is dated. It's you know, there's a freshness to it. So it's not like I can have it around for five years. You know, I said, you know, if 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 it doesn't, if everything doesn't come with it, th this could end up turning the company upside down. And I don't know if I can, you know, if I can uh, help from that. 
And she said, look, I'm just telling you what I see, you know, and I, I think that we need to do it. Otherwise, my fear is you're going to be successful and we're going to be out of stock and you're going to get a lot of no's we can't ship. And I know you and I know the business you run and I know the, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. You don't want to be that way. And I said, you know what? You've been with me for a long time. You're you're one of the most brilliant people I've had the pleasure to work with. All right, let's do it. And I doubled my inventory within four weeks. You know, I went from 70,000 to over 140,000 square feet of inventory. It's a lot. And uh, it's what saved our company. You know, I can point back to say, you know what? That's what saved our company. I felt again that um, we, we had the, the right information and it was the right thing to do. And so because of that, while everybody was having the issues they were having and, you know, containers were going up four five, six times that amount, we were able to at least weather some of that and be able to say, well, we don't need a container now. We need it in six weeks. And we were able to negotiate a little better, which, again, helps the overall piece. You know, people. I like to uh, I like to invest in people. I like to make sure again and it's it's that fine line I think it comes from just doing it for years and years of leadership. You're right, you know, you could throw 70 people at a situation and 46 of them you're going to have to let go in 3 months because it just didn't work. Uh, and that's that's never good. Throwing things against the wall is never good. So, you know, I I like to plan for the future, but not to the point where it's going to take me 10x to get to where I need all these people. It may take me one and a half X to get to those people, but I'd rather have them there because for me, it's all about the runway. It's about, and when I say the runway, what I mean is how long will it take us to get up to that certain point where we need to be? So it could be from adding people, adding, again, you talked software earlier. It could be talk about, you know, adding the software and uh, making sure that what you put in place because i hate band-aids i hate getting something that meets my needs now oh yeah and then six months from now it's like oh, man and now we got to bolt on seven things to this thing so the idea being that okay we don't need four of these right now but my expectations are we're going to need four of them when we get to this and i expect to get to this you know at this certain date and so it's really just continually analyzing and understanding that you know what you're bringing in today will help you for the next 12, 24 months or 36 if it's that large of an investment. And some investments are that large. And right. others you have to say, no, I just, I can't do it. I don't see it. Yeah. And I mean, 30, a 36 month kind of uh, uh, tailwind from from any initiative in today's fast moving, you know, economy is, is pretty good in my view. Um, it's funny, you know, I was with, uh, I was at a uh, year beginning meeting by one of the largest retailers in the world. And, uh, you know, the CEO of the company was talking to us and somebody said, I have a question. And he said, well, what's your question? He said, uh, where do you see the business long term? What, what, what are the goals? And he smiled, he laughed. He said, guys, let me explain to you. He said, I understand you guys. I understand your businesses. Long term to you is where are you going to be three or four years? Long term for us, where are we going to be 18 to 22 years? So if you really want to know where I'm going to be three to five years from now, you should have asked me a decade ago, <laughs> you know? So the idea being that, you know, again, it's, it's the different business models. Some, you know, every business is a ship, so to speak. Some ships turn rapidly. Others take a really long time to turn. And you've seen the demise of a lot of businesses because it took them too long to turn that boat. There's a lot of folks on the retail landscape. You look through that and even on the software landscape. I mean, you know, we're reading about a billionaire who had to sell his business last Tuesday because he had a liquidity crunch. You know what I mean? So you always have to be looking ahead. Probably, you know, if I think about 
the two biggest assets, I guess, as, as a leader. One is knowing what I don't know, which I think is really important and was taught to me. And the other one is being able to look three or four steps ahead. Because if I'm looking at the same path that the rest of my team is, we're going to run into a wall because really nobody's looking forward. So that's my role to look forward. And that's my role to make sure that when looking forward, I'm looking properly at it. Glenn, was there anything that I didn't ask you today that you want to make sure we get to or any final takeaways you want to leave our listeners with? You know, I would tell you probably the the last thing I would say is, again, I'll go back to the passion piece because, you know, talking with folks, you know, all around the world, you know, take the journey that you're in right now. And if you don't have your passion, it's okay because the journey you're in now, whatever it is you're doing, you can learn from. I don't care what business it is. Delivery driver can learn how to satisfy the needs of a consumer that can keep that in their in their file, you know, in their brain somewhere that they will need someday somewhere else. So what I tell people all the time is, look, enjoy the journey and understand what your destination is and, uh, you know, fight for it. I wouldn't be where I am today having the opportunity to run an amazing chocolate like red you know like red chocolate if i hadn't done that and it's okay to take a knee once in a while because i do it now so love it on that note uh where can people go to learn more about red and to connect with you so with myself of course you could find me on linkedin glenn gardone by all means reach out if i can help you i'm more than happy to answer questions or whatever it is uh if i can't maybe i know somebody who can help you out uh for red which uh again I love it. I hope everybody gets a chance to try it. You'll always find us at red-chocolate.com. Again, you can even reach me from there, my marketing team. You can find out about us, find our history, uh, and you'll find us in probably 15,000 store doors across the United States. So look for us on shelf or look for us online. We're everywhere. What, uh, sorry, last question. What what are some of the biggest retailers that, that you guys are in? So from a retail, we're in Kroger nationally. So that would be under the Ralph's name and King Supers and a whole bunch of other banners. Uh, we're partnered with uh, the Albertsons chain. We're in Winn-Dixie in the Southeast. So a lot of major retailers. And really, all you need to do is go on the website, go to the Find Us page, type in your zip code, and there'll be a whole list, you know, Rite Aid. So we're in, you know, we're in the, we work with the military. You'll find us in a lot of different places. But by all means, go to the Find Us page, type in your zip, and five or six will come out. And if you don't feel like driving, buy us online. We'll ship it to your house. There you go. Guys, if you've got a sweet tooth every once in a while, like I do, um, make sure you check out uh, Red's Chocolate. Absolutely delicious. Thank you so much for your time, Glenn. Thank you, Michael. Hey guys, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to rate, review, comment, and share. Everything helps. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things. And hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you. And that's it. I will see you in the next episode.